Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 10. In today's discussion, Hope, Bonnie, and I talk about persevering by cultivating the habit of finishing strong, how to gauge realistic expectations, and the intrinsic value of self-mastery. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. And I'm Jordan. I teach Greek and Latin and serve as the languages advisor for Colby Academy. I completed my graduate studies in Germany before returning to the States to educate my kids at home. A few goats, a handful of chickens, and even a couple guinea fowls later, we just may be on our way. Well, yeah, let's just start. So, well, I'm joined again here today. The three of us are getting together, and um, it's a Monday. It's actually a, a Monday, a very busy Monday for me, and I imagine for a lot of our listeners, and probably for Hope and Bonnie also. How's it been for you today, Bonnie? Did you have a busy day? Well, I kind of want to whisper this part because we had a fairly decent Monday. So, shh, just <laughs> keep that quiet because we, we got a good start. Last week, the holiday week, it was a little dicey. It was, I, I think we sort of felt behind from the get-go once we got through the holiday and started on our tasks for the week. So we kind of limped to the finish of that one. But uh, this week we're off to a good start. It seems a bit, we're all just breathing a little easier. I remember um, when we were trying to get the week started, Mondays were, they really set the tone for the week. And for a while I had an extracurricular on Monday evenings that sometimes like getting ready for it would cut into the Monday during the day. And that kind of like what you said, Bonnie, about the holiday kind of throwing off your groove for the rest of the week. We figured out after about a year of participating in that extracurricular that the Monday scheduling just didn't work. Like Mondays needed to be our days to get focused and uh, sorted out and kind of build a, build a reserve of, feeling accomplished for the rest of the week, which can be hard on a Monday, especially if you're, you've had a busy weekend or something like that. But it really, like, we found that um, as went the Monday, as went the week. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. I, I was basically, I, I stayed up. I made the mistake of staying up to watch football last night. And so <laughs> I was up later than normal. But, um, and then today was just kind of a different day because I, we started in the, um, we started fifth grade Latin today. And um, that was a lot of fun. My daughter was in, in the class, which was funny. She was in the room uh, over, you know, so I'm in, I'm in my library and she was in the living room on the computer and um, asking questions and uh, on in the class, and I'm thinking that's funny. I mean, she could just ask me, but I think she she wants to be heard, which is part of the the process, part of the fun, I think, for for students. But <clears throat> yeah, our Mondays are pretty crazy around here, so it feels good to to have it done. And by the time anyone listens to this, it will no longer be Monday; it'll be probably a Wednesday. So Wednesdays are kind of getting over the hump, but. You know, we we were talking in, uh, earlier about how we're going to um, 
or what what we'd like to to do in this episode. And I guess one of the things that seems like it's it's in the air, we're seeing it in various places with people that are that are doing homeschooling maybe for the first time or even even if they've been doing it for a while, this point of the year seems to be like there's a hump that you have to get over. It's it's it always feels like that for teachers and for students, for parents. So, um, Bonnie, what do you think of that? What maybe what are some tips that you might offer for for sort of persevering in this time? I think one important thing to remember is that it sometimes takes a lot longer to settle in to a new school year than we might think it should. And just to have even that sense of obligation, like it should only take this long. We should be into this by now. We should have a good routine going, whatever, all the shoulds. It doesn't always go that way, especially when it's a brand new paradigm, like this whole paradigm shift for people who are just starting intentional homeschooling or uh, whether or not they had planned to for this school year or, or have come to it because of the pandemic. Um, even then, especially then, it is there needs to be more grace, as I talked about before. That first year of homeschooling, the whole year for me was like, we're get, just getting used to it. So, and that too uh, exponential, like an order of magnitude here for folks coming to homeschooling in these circumstances. So, I remember even when our kids were in brick and mortar school, thinking that getting back into a routine, we tend I tended to have this mindset of like, oh, we're going to get back into a routine and it just takes just a little bit. And it, it didn't, I don't remember a year that it took as little time as I thought it would. So it, even then it took a while and certainly now it, it, we're still working stuff out and still getting used to it. And we've been doing this for a few years now. So I think it just, just to give us more time uh, to, to recognize that it might take longer than we think. Yeah. Yep. Well, I would find like four or five weeks into each semester. So in the first quarter and in the third quarter, our mom and I would hit this speed bump kind of of you don't have quite the adrenaline or like the excitement of the new school supplies as we've as we've noted out before. We love school supplies in this family. So like getting to use the new pens and the new planners and things like that was always exciting. And then four or five weeks in, it hits of like, oh, this is this is what we do every week. And <laughs> And to do it again. Do we have to do it again today? Do we have to do school again today? <laughs> yeah. 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 And so that hits, I don't know, that always hit somewhere mid to late September and then like mid to late January or February. And I think that there's a lot of solidarity that comes from just knowing that other people experience it too, that you're not alone. Like I didn't know Jordan, until you just mentioned it, that teachers feel it too. Like, I, I don't know why I would be surprised by that, but I guess I just hadn't heard that perspective of it before. But that, I think there's a lot, when you're homeschooling, hopefully it's better now with all the community that Colby is building. But at least when I was being homeschooled, there was a lot of this, like, is our experience normal, quote unquote, or are we doing something wrong? Are we kind of tracking or are we off the path. And so I think knowing that other people also have this experience is really valuable. And also like with what Bonnie was saying with you, you want to feel like you can set it and forget it almost like you get your routine dialed in and then you're good. But I've used this analogy about various things and it, and I'm going to start using it with Bonnie's 10th grader. Cause he's going to be doing driver's ed pretty soon of like, 
if you're driving straight down a road, you're actually not holding the steering wheel in one place. Mm. Like if you hold the steering wheel in one place, the curvature of the road, like the banking and the wind and all these things, driving straight involves constant like little adjustments reacting to the circumstances and it feels I mean I can remember when I was learning how to drive like I would get frustrated about that like how I just want to I just want to go down the highway um and now it's almost second nature to me of just oh yeah well when you drive you kind of you work with your your atmosphere and, and your circumstances and weather conditions and whatever and you're engaged but you're not having to think quite a quite as much about it as say in the first year or two of having a driver's license. And I think that's, I think that's a good analogy for a lot of things where it seems like it would be, it should be set it and forget it. And then it's frustrating when it's not like, it's okay. Um, look at, look at these other areas of life where you get, it gets easier as it gets, as you get more experience, but it's never like a, a sense of, okay, we've arrived. We're here. Yeah, everything, everything's that way, you know, like when I was on the outside of getting a bachelor's degree, it just felt like once I get there, like it'll all be over or something. But then I'm like, whoa, that was just the beginning in a way. And one of the things that's hard that I think is important is to develop habits. And, and there's a habit of finishing strong and there's a habit you can also develop the bad habits of not finishing things. And, you know, I'll throw my older brother under the bus for this because he, he used <laughs> to kind of brag um, that he never finished books. He would read he would read books till there was pages left, 10 pages left. He'd quit and go on to the next one. And, and it was like this habit of not finishing the book. So I had always said, whatever book I start reading, I'm going to. I'm going to make sure I finish it. Um, now I don't because now I see that life is too short and the one who reads has to choose. So if the book is no good, I put it down. But but that's, you know, and I tell my students, sometimes, there's a Latin quote, um, pergite quo chepistis, which means to, to, to finish what you started, basically. It's like to press on, press on a little bit to the place you began to go to. And um, so we use that sometimes as our motto of, of the idea to let's let's keep going. We already started this. Let's let's keep it going, you know, and, and see what happens. And the time is going to go anyway. And, and how you spend that time um, will determine whether or not you're you're proud or of what you've done, if you've redeemed the time, as St. Paul says, or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's there are lessons to be learned even in all of this. But I think more specifically, we were talking somewhat about off air about maybe even the the change from from a type of schooling to use uh, Hope's description that that might be more um, like like, you know, I've, I've in my new car, I've got driver's assistance. And so it like keeps me on the road sort of it like turns the steering wheel. So to switch from a school that maybe is is analogous to driver's assistance where where it's keeping you through and now it's now you've taken the burden on yourself as a family and um, there's not an there's not a mediator to do it for you to be the bad guy and make your kid do this so what 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 is it that i mean what do you do when you're the the homeschooling parent and you hit sort of this wall because it seems harder 
Now, the kind of education that you've chosen may be like a step up than even above what you were expecting. What, what do you do for that kind of a situation? I think for us, it's certainly a reckoning, right? It's just coming face to face with some of our expectations that we had going in, maybe from the beginning of our our school experience as a family, when our children started school, what our expectations were of that. And then seeing how those played out, you know, we had to draw to form those expectations we drew from our own experience, right from when we were in school, and then seeing them go through school. And now at this point, homeschooling, just seeing how expectations reconcile with reality. And and what do we do then? How do we do we modify expectations somehow? How do we use reality to inform our expectations. And that takes a lot of humility in my, in my experience to, to look straight at the expectations I had and also at the reality of the situation and to try to really sort through, um, is this a realistic expectation? Does this take a little bit more time? Am I expecting it to be perfect right away uh, to borrow that word that we talked about in a previous episode? Am I expecting too much too soon? It, or um, am I putting in enough effort to get to the expectation I have set for myself and our and our children? And am I holding them to that? Or how, how's that going really? So I saw a good quote recently, enough is a decision, not an amount. Ooh. And I think that that is very applicable. I think it's yeah. hard, especially in the beginning to know what how will we know what's enough? Like, yes, that is a decision, but if it's, if we've made this big switch, then how, how do we know? And I think that's one of the ways that Colby helps us with the suggested time amounts for different subjects, which of course are a suggestion or an average and that everybody's going to be different. But that is kind of one guideline that I have found helpful, at least in the beginning. Like how should, I mean, there comes a point when, you know, we cannot do anymore and nor should we, be just going tirelessly, but sometimes we do need to put in more time on things, but kind of sorting out what, especially if we're used to a different way of doing things, how to know what's enough. That's, that's really a question that kind of still plagues me sometimes with new subjects, but I'm really interested to hear Jordan, your perspective, both as a instructor and a dad. Yeah, I, to be honest, I haven't really done much at all with the, with the kids in their homes. My wife has been doing pretty much everything so far. Um, from the 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 teachers' side of things, um, and and this is something I was gonna gonna ask you also, Bonnie, because um, we have so so there are course plans and there's the the expectation for the class, um, and but you have to sort of at least as the teacher. I have to I have to sort of tailor it to each class. So I don't I don't have powerpoints for any of my classes and I don't I don't have I don't have uh, quizzes that I use each year or anything like that. I make everything new. It takes a lot more work, but I do it new every class just because I know about where we should be as far as pacing and things like that. But if you look inside even the books that we use, they have all these exercises that are marked as essential. And I don't use them that way. I don't use them as essential. I'll do like like the first five of, of an exercise that's got like 10 different translations or, or something, or I'll do every other one. So I, I it depends on the class too. There are some classes that are more eager and more ready for m- more work. Um, and I, you know, I, I think there has to be, there has to be some sort of 
limits imposed in, in some cases. And you have to see the course plans and the expectations as you can go this far and it may be way beyond you, but you can also limit yourself inside of that. Do you do that kind of stuff in your body? How, how do you, how do you arrange things in your family? Sure. We do look at the course plans and what's assigned and, and we stick pretty close, fairly close to the course plans. I do a lot of stuff aloud whenever possible, just to kind of simplify things and paperwork, as I've talked about before, gets me down if I, if I do it all on paper, have them do it all on paper. So uh, one concept that comes up a lot with Colby is the idea of mastery. So if, we can easily tell that someone's got this mastered, whatever it is. There's no point in, in exhausting the whole list of exercises that are, even if they are marked essential, if they've already shown us that something's mastered, then let's move on and either uh, further into the subject or onto a different subject that we have on our plate that day. And I think I have gotten more comfortable with this as I have done this over the past few years. Certainly when I started, I was very, very much tied to the course plans. Like, this is what they say to do. Um, they know this better than I do. I am willing to put forth my effort, but this is not necessarily my field of expertise. So I'm going to defer to their guidelines here. And, and that, that was where I needed to be at that time. And I think with the idea in mind that Colby incorporates into the plans, like the mastery is the goal and they, they make that, they make that plane from the get go. So even if they say, here are all your here's your assignment. These are essential. These are optional, whatever. Elsewhere, it will also say your goal is masteries. Um, I've certainly gotten more comfortable in the past few years of, of uh, modifying assignments or um, trying to think of the word I want, not necessarily assigning everything that's in the course plan, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of picking and choosing as you find which types of assignments help with mastery and, and which are not working for that student at that time, maybe? Yeah, so if there are particular skills that I'm trying to build up, kind of shore up, we'll focus more on those. And others that are quite well um, proven, then, you know, to kind of maintain them, we'll do some work in those areas, but we won't necessarily do every little bit of those things, especially if there's another skill that's might be, that might be lagging or um, just needs extra attention, or if we're trying to build that up for something that's coming down the road, such as the high school courses or something like that. Yeah, we used to do like the odd numbered or the even numbered assignments a lot, and sometimes we would end up going back. And you know, if we did one, three, five, seven first, if I was still struggling with it, then we could go back and do the even numbers, or if it was really clicking, then we could move on ahead and. So. I do that too. And even in the course plans, especially the new edition of the English grammar textbook, um, the course plans for those, very frequently they will assign odds or evens of certain exercises. And they certainly don't assign every single exercise in the book. It's, you know, this and that. And, and if you want more review, you can do that, but certainly not from the beginning. So. Well, that that kind of abundance of different exercise types and then picking and choosing kind of reminds me and you guys stop me if I'm ever like law school law school I'm a lawyer did I mention I'm a lawyer no, law school. <laughs> stop me if it gets uh, overbearing but it really reminds me of the 
most feared law school final in all of our school. There was it was a criminal law final um, with a somewhat imposing professor, and it was half multiple choice and half essay. And so in law school, we're graded on a curve, which means that whoever got the highest grade, even if it's not a great grade, then they get an A, and then everybody kind of sorts down after that. And so there was this rumor going around my law school this semester that I had to take that class because it was required of, well, the, the highest grade in that class last year only got 45 of the 60 multiple choice questions correct. Can you believe that? Like, that's how hard the final is. And so we were all so intimidated by it. Um, and criminal law is not my thing anyway. But I realized actually taking that final and then later on, it was a 1L class, so first year. And so I then worked with friends who were in, who were behind me in law school and studying for it. I realized that the professor was not expecting to see a 58 or a 59 or a 60 out of 60 multiple choice test. It was more that he put everything possible on the test so that if you knew something, you were going to get points. He didn't expect you to know everything, but if you knew something, you were going to get points. And I ended up appreciating that kind of test a lot more than I had a different class the same semester where the essay that was like a third of our grade was on the very specific topic that had been one lecture two-thirds of the way through the class. And if you were sick that day, you're done. Like, you're, there's no way you're going to get a good grade in the class. And so I ended up preferring tests that, yeah, I might not capture everything, but I knew that I would be able to demonstrate that I had studied kind of the humility and perseverance of, okay, there, there's so much here. I don't think we're going to get all of it, but let's figure out what we can get. That was one of the biggest lessons that I took from Colby. And what you guys are, are saying, especially about mastery and it being, it, it, to me, I think that, I think that, that, that with this kind of education and true education in general, it has to be very, very organic. And that's the opportunity that you have. So imposing too much, although there are guides and helps from the outside, imposing too much of that um, makes it all of a sudden mechanistic. And it's like, if my car was a self-driving car, I wouldn't be driving at all. I'm just sitting there, you know? Um, so I, th and, and, and your story from law school, Hope, makes me, it, it almost makes me want to consider uh, trying to grade on the curve, especially in my college courses, because what that is, is then is drawing from the the life of the class, the actual current class that you have there. So hypothetically, maybe there is a student one time that ruins it for everybody and does score really high or something like that. Um, but still, it's the life. It's in general, it's the life of the class, and and it's not like just a mechanical test that's the that that um will level everybody every time or something like that nobody's going to get an a on this ever so i think um from the descriptions of mastery too i'm glad you brought that up bonnie that is true and colby that is that's a concept we use a lot the concept of of mastery i've come to feel that that mastery involves the student 
really. It's it's being it's not even conquering Latin, for example. It's being conquered by Latin. And maybe you have a similar experience with, with because you're a musician and things like that. But you might be able to, at least for me, that's how I've felt. I, I tell my students, Latin will never conform to you. No matter how bad you want it to, it won't. You you conform. And so I wonder if mastery is more of a, a self-mastery even than the, the subject is this external thing that you have conquered. You're the one who's changed. The subject remains the same always. I, love I think that. that's very true. That's great. It goes along with some thoughts bubbling up about these early weeks being the time to build habits and to get comfortable with the idea that, that like you're saying, it's on the student. There's more expected of the student to participate in the process rather than a passive reception of whatever information is being kind of thrown at. This is not just me talking at kids for knowledge to shoved in there somehow. It's it's them acquiring it and applying themselves to it to intake the knowledge and to cultivate habits, virtues really, to to study and to learn how to learn and to uh, lay the lay the groundwork for further understanding and deepening deepening of understanding and 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 so the early parts of the semesters tend to be that's the real work being done right then and there's time yet to come for for more of the rounding out of what we hope that our um, academic experience will look like throughout the year. So, what you were just saying, Jordan and Bonnie, gave me two thoughts. So let, let's see if I can hang on to both of them. Um, first, uh, Jordan, what you were saying about thinking about grading on a curve and then talking about mastery of the material is so spot on. So in law school, because of the curve, there was this competition between people where people were comparing their insides to other people's outsides you know they were thinking oh well this person really nailed it in in cold calling in class and so I'm I wonder what they're studying or what they're gonna say and that's that is an exhausting and ultimately futile exercise because you can never know someone else's insides by their outsides and so people will say law school is competitive and and I would say well, yes, it is, but the competition is you versus the material. It's not you versus the other students. Um, because if it's you versus the other students, you're aiming at a target that you can never actually see. That's not even the right target because we're here to to further our own education. You know, the reason why it's on a on a curve is to figure out who has grasped it the best, not has student A. Um, bested student B and things like that. So I, I totally agree about like what you, what you said about Latin's not going to change for you. Like Latin is is established. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Okay, that was the first one. So halfway there, we're good. Um, and then the second thought that I had with what you were saying, Bonnie, about the early parts of the semesters being this time to work on habits, that is also very true. And it reminded me, so I, I love to cook. Like as my um, as my intro on these podcasts say, I'm an avid home cook. I've been cooking since I was like, well, I've been making dinner regularly since I was 14 and cooking probably since I was 10. But the way that our mom got me involved in cooking was that she would give me like the the tops of the celery stalks or, or things like that that you wouldn't necessarily put into the finished product, but that were really good for developing the skills of 
all of the habits of cooking of knife skills and this and that and then as I got a little bit better with that then she would give me half the celery to chop or something like that and so I think what you were saying about early in the semester like yes the I, I don't mean to downplay the importance of the actual subject material like there's a reason why the subject material is what it is in each grade and it is worthwhile but it's it's almost um, like if it's the really material or the really substantial part of the course it's going to keep showing up and it's going to build on itself and it's going to grow organically just like you said Jordan and so it can be really frustrating to get low grades early in the semesters but it's almost that like I don't know the tops of the celery leaves that they're they're good you can include them but if you're practicing those are the good good places to practice and hone your skills so that you can apply it as you get later on um, and there are so many other skills happening that are that we're working trying to bring in here at the beginning just getting ourselves organized and and learning the different systems I'm especially for the online students there's this deep learning curve for the platforms and so many different, even on the homeschool side, if we're not doing it in online, there are all these sort of uh, the doing the school part. However, we, I mean, we don't, there's a lot of that unseen work that, that we don't even really stop to consider until we're kind of reckoning with the effects of it being not where we want it to be. So I would really love to hear more about your perspective as the online on the online instructor side, Jordan, of what it's like sort of typically from the start of a semester, just a typical experience, seeing how students fare. Yeah, it, it sort of depends on the class. I have a few classes that um, everything is pretty smooth and it, it just gradually compounds to being more difficult um, as we go uh, and you can't really feel it. But then I have a few classes, especially I notice um, in Latin two, where we we finish the grammar um, by the second semester, and all of a sudden students are reading, and so we don't get these little little exercises like here's a new grammar element, here's an exercise tailored to this grammar element. It's the whole thing in every sentence, and so they really have to get used to to looking back and going back. Um, and I think at this point in the year, it's hard in the advanced classes because they're just, there's just a ton of work to do. And that, that's where I find myself needing to encourage students more. And I've found out through the years that um, there's a time to, to uh, sort of give them a break, even sort of just, you know, pull back just a little bit, do something fun. Um, if we can, um, AP Latin, we're on a schedule that's not of my creation, unfortunately. That's that's the reason I, I'm not a big fan of AP Latin, but I teach it because it's necessary and it helps the students. But we're on we're on another schedule that I don't have real control over, and so in all these ways, I see students. I think after the ones come with me through um, Latin two, the first one that hits that wall. It comes in the second semester. I think it, they they trust me more in the, in the in the other classes then. So, 
you know, from the teacher standpoint, and we do, we do get, we get tired also. I've, I've got a lot of preps. I teach a lot of different classes, even though I've been teaching them for years, I still have to do some, some prepping. And, uh, you know, I found that students in general, um, you know, we want to, we want to imitate, we want to be like somebody. And that, that's, um, it makes me wonder, Hope, when you were talking about talking about um, the competitiveness maybe in law school and that you have to remind yourself that it's not you against somebody else. Even the younger students, I wrote a piece that's on the Colby blog about the teachers themselves being being sort of the model for the students. And so there's a really great, great quote that says something like, if you want to, um, if you want to teach somebody how to build a ship, don't teach them how to collect wood and how to find nails and make a hammer to do so, but teach them to long for the the endless sea. And I think that that's a lot of um, of what I try to do. And to do that, you have to be you yourself have to be motivated. You you have to show that you're with them and you're going to overcome challenges with them. It's hard for all of us right now, but let's do it. And they feed off that. And I, I'm imagining it'll be the same with my kids, but I haven't worked with them much yet. So um, as far as their schooling goes, but I wonder about I wonder about that. And I wonder in general who your own mediators are, because we don't often recognize them. Um, and we, we want to be something because we admire somebody who is that already. And so, uh, you know, but I felt the same in grad school where there was this com- competition sort of amongst peers and to kind of remove yourself from that. And that goes back even to what you were talking about with expectations versus reality. Who is imposing the expectations? Where are we getting them from? You know, and so I don't know. It's it's there's a lot there's a lot there. But I, I just wonder this this idea of of where are we getting our own expectations from and the ones that we're putting on our our kids or our students, where do those come from? I would absolutely agree with your idea of kind of the students taking their cue from the teachers and whether that's online teachers or whether that's parents. And I know that that can sound kind of daunting, especially when the when the grownups in the room are struggling too. But I know from the students' perspective, I appreciated it when our mom would say that she was struggling too and that we would work things out together um, because then I didn't feel like I was didn't feel so much like I was falling behind or that there was something wrong with me that I wasn't getting something it was like oh uh, the the grown-up in the room sees that this is a challenge too and that's kind of a life lots of life lessons there from the student's perspective, but I'm, you know, I'm not a parent yet, so I don't presume to offer any parenting advice, but uh, Bonnie? It's when it's quite humbling to be just <laughs> very real with, with our kids that I'm struggling somehow. I mean, as a parent to them, I, I can't exactly hide it, especially if we're together all day working through our various, whatever work we're working on, if it's schoolwork or housework, whatever it is, living life, um, and they have just the, I think, a fuller and more complete picture of the lives grownups lead. They're they're the grownups in their lives, especially the ones sharing the household with them. That here's here's how that goes, and, and very easy to have a sense of 
the grownups do all, go off and do this or that or whatever, and they they know how to do it perfectly. They they can do whatever skill so easily. And with homeschooling, that's very evident in many cases that that's not the case, especially if we're just getting started. Um, if it's not something we've been doing for a long time, everybody can plainly see that <laughs> I don't have this all figured out, and I'm working on it. And I think that can be a very valuable lesson to for them to internalize that. You don't have to have it all figured out right away. The value comes from really um, the diligence and, and just the putting forth of the effort. And all those lessons are they're on the lesson plan every day, whether or not we put them there intentionally. And I think, I hope that it turns out to be very valuable since we are trying to take the long view of raising adults here for when they when it's it's not me imposing whatever on them the day. Yeah, and that what you're saying about the um, the 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 lessons in even failure. I think there can be lessons in failure. Um, I, I I didn't realize that until I was writing that memoir about you know about things that happen with our family. And there was a time where where we were uh, we were burning just a small fire trying to clear some weeds or whatever, and it got out of control. And burned down the field, and the fire department had to come, and it turned into this big, big thing. It was a prairie fire that we started without even meaning to. And I, um, you know, I, my, so there were failures like that where they, they were almost embarrassing because that one was very public. Someone called the fire department because they knew it was getting out of control. And we had tried to have like this private idea this private thing and it turned into like this public almost embarrassment you know and yeah. but learning learning through those things and then in the end not taking it all so seriously you know you have to there's there it is a serious thing i love i love how you describe it each time bonnie about the long view of we're raising little adults um that's that's just right and in that there's still room and maybe an important uh, part of it is this idea of, of of not taking yourselves or or everything that's happening too too seriously for sure for sure we cannot endure i mean we have to cultivate flexibility we cannot we cannot control everything and if we hold on to uh, rigidly to expectations it it will not we cannot control everything and, and if we can't adapt then we're going to be be hurting for certain yeah yeah that and that sort of goes into something we mentioned and maybe we'll do a, a fuller episode but we were talking off air before this started um sort of about uh the origins of the schools that a lot of us grew up in um a lot of us expect as normal and how they're not really there there's very much there's a lot of about them that seems to be against nature and against the the situation that the world is in even now. And so with with social distancing and these sorts of things, they're having such a hard time trying to keep the mask up of this is the way that school really is. People have gotten a taste and they see now that, well, you can learn in other ways. You can learn at home, for example. And um, with with this these kind of schools, um, they I, we might have mentioned on another episode, I can't remember if it was there or not, but they these so I'm talking about brick and mortar schools, specifically public schools, and they're modeled after the era in which they started, which is the Industrial Revolution, where you had you had a brick and mortar building and it churned out products 
and it and it tried to meet expectations and it was all governed by by a system really a system a functional system that was imposed on here's how we 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 create controlled products well that's the same thing that that then got substituted under the guise of schooling but i think there's a big discrepancy between education and schooling so uh, you know schooling is one thing it's taught to be a certain a certain way you 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 have to you have to be schooled and there's a book called de-schooling society by ivan illich which uh, um at least parts of it are really great de-schooling society it's it's um and anyway he was a he had this idea of de-schooling ourselves even and um de-schooling the whole society was the idea to to create firm and free personalities in our world and in order to do that um it doesn't mean that that you you go away from education of course not that's not at all what he means it's it's a totally different term i think what we do and what what we are doing in the way that um we were educated hope and i being homeschooled i think it really gives an opportunity for that and and nobody knows better than the parents what the children need how could they how could they possibly know but during the industrial revolution people had to go to work um and kids couldn't be in the mix they were they were uh, they couldn't be in the mix of the rest of life there's a really great quote um that that Ivan Illich talks about in there and he talks about the myth of childhood even that that is a creation uh that that's a that was a made up term sort of and that all, all the years before um children dressed like their dads they went to work with their dads they did everything he even says and they were hanged by the neck as were their fathers <laughs> you know like he was oh my he was he was trying to say that there was it was a we might he, he said in christian certain christian eras people didn't even have an eye artists didn't even have an eye for this childhood thing they would draw a little adult in the arms of of the mom and um so all of that is is sort of a a call towards action and and a a call towards towards action for for students as well that you can do more than you think you can you can you can be a part of the conversation of the world even before you're you're told now you're 18 you came out of the brick and mortar school now you're allowed to pursue a job or to go to college but even before that there's there's potential this definitely deserves its own episode to kind of go deeper into it but i think kind of to draw the distinction of what education looked like before the industrial revolution a lot of the first schools and universities as we think of them came out of monasteries and so it really was this formation and education of the whole person which certainly had a lot of a lot of school um but it was school as formation rather than school as preparation for industry or uh utilitarian purposes and i actually let me pull up my instagram because i just saw a quote from Pope Benedict the 16th yesterday and I sent it to Bonnie and I said we have to quote this on the episode. It's Pope Benedict the 16th 2010 address to teachers and religious and it's a quote that says the task of a teacher is not simply to impart information or to provide training and skills intended to deliver some economic benefit to society. Mm-hmm. Education is not and must never be considered as purely utilitarian. 
It is about forming the human person, equipping him or her to live life to the full, and in short, it is about imparting wisdom. And true wisdom is inseparable from knowledge of the Creator, for both we and our words are in His hand, as are all understanding and skill in crafts, which is wow. from Wisdom 7.16. So, well, that was Pope Benedict, you said? Yes, and I'll paste this in the show notes. Um, yeah, do that's that's amazing that he's German because when I think of the most mechanistic schooling system, so the German model, the Prussian model, is what what was imposed on us at that at that time of the Industrial Revolution. And my my kids uh, went to school there for their first years. And at fourth grade, it's decided whether or not you're going to be a worker, you're going to go to college. All of that is decided after fourth grade in Germany. And I, you know, how many people. I wasn't a good student in fourth grade, you know, I would have never been the one chosen to go to college or something. And so that's really amazing. The, the Germans don't have an eye for um, the typical Germans don't have an eye for any kind of organic education at all. There was a, a think tank at the college at the university when I finished my Ph.D., we almost didn't come back because I went and met with them and they were doing um, education and religion and they had this big grant, a big grant to, to have a look at this. And it, it was politically motivated for the idea because of all the the um, the immigrants coming in from Islamic countries. They were trying to see let's let's study religion and religion's role inside of an education system. Well, all the ideas that I had they liked them because they'd never thought of them because they had never thought outside of their their own box and um so they they offered me a, a stipend to stay on with them and to and to work in this um but we ended up coming back in, in, instead but my what i was going to pursue was the idea of imitation in education and they they liked it because they were saying a lot of the the monasteries and things when they would go and try to learn or they'd research them, they didn't have like a system at all. It was more they learned it. They learned it through others who had learned it through others, and it was more in imitating the way that people acted. And and um, Pope Benedict the quote sort of reminds me of this that life that was there before the arrival of these kind of foreign systems of schooling and he being a good catholic man that he is he he knew that and he saw that that's providential in its timing i wanted us to consider also in this time of of kind of getting used to this new way of doing things we may folks who are especially folks who are new to the intentional homeschooling life i i use that word intentional in front of the homeschooling and to contrast it from um what what was the term emergency homeschooling that Colleen Carroll Campbell had used yes. emergency homeschooling or yes. this kind of um, back and forth business that is is the reality of many many people but for those of us for whom in this homeschool life is an intentional decision we might find ourselves with a lot more time on our hands than before we might be in the case where we've got a ton of schoolwork that we're trying to manage this workload but we might also at the same time or the other folks might find ourselves with a lot more time on our hands than before. Certainly if we're used to a, a bell schedule or some other kind of um, top-down schedule, what do we do with ourselves when we've finished our work? What do you what do you two have to say about that? If well, I will say that I, so I love reading and always have. I 
was one of the kids who would like stumble up to the library front desk and I could barely see where he was going because I had so many books. But I will say during Colby, um, college and law school, I had had enough of reading by the end of the day and that's okay. So I actually during quarantine have gotten back to a lot more quote unquote fun reading um, because I had set it aside. I had had, I appreciated the reading that I was doing in Colby in college and law school, but I couldn't focus on the page anymore after I had finished for the day and that's okay. So that's when I ended up um, developing a lot of my cooking hobby. I can already tell Bonnie's going to shoot me a look when I say this, but I would play video games and that's okay. Sometimes I needed the entire, uh, entire change from I've been reading like fifth century writing in teeny tiny font. And now I'm just going to go build a house in the Sims. And that change was good for me. Hmm. Yeah. For, for me, we do a lot of, um, I mean, during quarantine, during the summer, we did a lot of outdoors stuff together as a family. We have, we have a, a, several acres and some animals and stuff here. And my kids are, are 10 and down, so they love anything. Like, I built them a huge slip and slide out of tarps this summer, just things like that that, that they do. But I don't I, – I'm really, really bad about taking time off. I don't have any hobbies. Like, And it's weird because I – I loved always reading and researching and doing what I do now professionally, and um, and that was always like my hobby. But now it's my my job too. So I'm like, well, what do I do? I need a I need to get a hobby of some kind. I would say sports. I watch a lot of, I don't watch a lot of sports anymore. But but um, I I I watch probably my my wife would say it's a lot. It's not a lot compared to other people I know. <laughs> um, but I enjoy sports and then. Uh, it, funnily enough, I started cooking and I'm not a cook at all. I mean, if anyone hears this and knows me from before, they'd be like, you can, I didn't even think you could scramble an egg, but, <laughs> but uh, cooking is a huge help. It's, it is, it's, it's an escape in a way for now. It's like, okay, I'm doing something productive that has nothing to do with anything else. And it really helps the family. It helps my wife. It gives her a break from it. And it gets me away from from working constantly. So I I I cook a lot more than than I would have ever imagined. I cook more in a week than I would have ever thought I'd cook in my whole lifetime. Now, <laughs> so that, is, that is something that I do That's also. Great. <laughs> Cooking engages your brain and your hands, which I like in a totally different way than than reading does or whatever, because you're thinking about what you need to do to make the recipe, but then it's also very tactile and I don't know. I just, I just like it. I also, you strike me as the kind of guy, Jordan, who would enjoy brewing his own beer. So yeah. maybe give that, maybe check that out sometime. I will. I will. I am interested in doing that because grilling is another thing that my brother and I, like he's, I have a brother moving close by and he grills and he cooks. He would have never thought he would cook either. We have all the same things and he has a brew kit. So we're talking about we're going to maybe start doing that when he gets here. It's quite the hobby. It, it's it's related to cooking and that it seems like it probably in some ways. So Did you find when you both, when each of you was being homeschooled and you, you hope talked about cooking, when Jordan, you were pretty active in sports as a kid, right? And then... You have also spoken of of relationships and um, 
interactions you had with your small community when you were growing up. So is that where you, as a family, you guys would do that when you had finished your schoolwork? Yeah, we, it was a lot of sports as a family. And then, um, I was Protestant. My dad's a Baptist pastor. So, um, the church, church really like kind of was everything for us then. So we had a Wednesday night Bible study. There may be like a choir practice or something during an evening. And then it was Sunday morning and Sunday night services. So it felt like everything was, was kind of dictated around that. And if there were off evenings, um, you know, it felt like there was always something going on in the church community. So uh, it, everything revolved around that. And if not, it would it would just be sports and things in the evenings. I was trying to remember what else I did with my time off of school, and I realized I played with your babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because right. your oldest was born when I was 12. Um so oh, yes, that well. was that was always a big motivator. <laughs> like, okay, gotta get the school done because I have to go, go play with the the nephews came along first, and then the nieces came along, and so we were doing we were doing Colby religion at your dining room table when we got the call that your youngest had been born. Whoa, that's fun. <laughs> so we call it win win. Had, had visits from from you all when when everybody was little everybody was little all at once and so that was that was certainly a welcome always a highlight when we got to see you guys yeah Yeah. that was a that was a good motivator for me um to learn how to kind of take that internal motivation and say okay I don't want to be thinking about having to get this done while I'm like I want to be present for these kids nice and it worked out very it's very beneficial to us too yeah I was thinking, Jordan, about your our conversation we had a few weeks ago about your conversion story and the process of that coming through. Um, I promise this has a point where it's probably coming out of left field at this point. But I, when I think about where we are now as a homeschooling family, how we came to be a homeschooling family, I would not have, I have, did not foresee that. I would not have thought mm. that this is what we were going to do. And in fact, I was pretty dead set against it for ever. So. Um, and thinking about my own educational experience, I was thinking about your own words about the conversations you had with your dad as you were converting and the care you took to show him how much you love and appreciate him. I feel very similarly about um, all the people who had a hand in my own educational experience. Grateful for grateful for that, really, because there are so many who have had very positive influences on my educational experience. And so I don't ever want it to come across as ungrateful or any kind of dismissiveness, any any of that. But um, and I think when it, one thing that has stuck with me through our transition to homeschooling from brick and mortar schooling is is the idea that my my choice is not a comment on any, anyone else's choices. It's just this is our discernment as a family and our, our path to holiness that this is where we are right now. And certainly informed by all of the experiences yet we've had so far. And it really there's so much. I have a lot of gratitude for how for all of that, how it has come to pass, the good and the and the difficult and all that. But yeah. just, that occurred to me the other day that that I, in conversing about this way of doing things, I, I have a similar sense of it as it sounded like you did about the care you wanted to take to be sure that folks understood how much um, they mean to you and how how much you appreciate them and and all all of their work on your behalf. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point to make because there are a lot of people who have a high school teacher or some teacher that that really meant a lot to them and was really, really good for them. There, there's great teachers out there like that. Um, and I, I know a family that, that homeschools and they were the, the mom was telling me that she has a difficult she's had a really difficult time with her uh, her own parents when they made the decision to homeschool because her parents had immigrated from another country and they came to America on purpose because of the schooling system. They, they wanted their kids to get um, educations here. And um, so then when she said, I'm, I'm homeschooling my kids, they're like, you know, we could have we might as well just stayed and homeschooled there. But, but um, she said it, they took it as, as kind of a, a slap in the face of what they had done. Um, I mean, she didn't mean it that way at all, of course, but it can be perceived by other people. So I think it is, I think it's important to point that out that, that we're not condemning, um, people at all. My, my brother and my sister, they, 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 they homeschool their kids. And I mean, I'm sorry, their kids are in public schools and things. And I'm outspoken in the way I am because of because uh, the job that I have and because of the way I found the job. Well, was found by the job basically, and um, and my own experience. You know, I just I I think it's important for me personally to 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 testify to it. I have a line in my book. I I don't remember exactly how I wrote it, but it, it's saying something like there are as many ways to educate as there are children. And I think that that's, that's probably true for, you know, there are, each kid needs something different and um, just slightly sometimes though, we have, we have the idea and the methods that you guys talked about on the, on the um, patron saints podcast. Um, But within that, within that, it takes parents to tailor things for their specific kids. And certainly homeschooling is a great way to to find out what those are, for one thing, and if we are not accustomed, if we've been, as I was, in a different educational setup, I was not nearly as attuned to that, to those needs as I am now. So that's been a real, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think, I feel like I'm really quote heavy this episode, <laughs> but I'm trying to think. Doing the same. I'm even quoting myself. Right, from my- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just you being a PhD. Like, don't <laughs> academics just quote themselves now <laughs> I think so it does seem... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to remember there was some some I don't know some saint has that for eloquence right there who said that there's a danger in getting distracted by other saints and like the idea of there are as many paths individual paths to heaven as there are people on this earth because each of us is individual and and God has a unique plan and involved for each of us. And I don't know, that is always a balancing act of trying to draw guidance and inspiration and, and also adapting things to fit your individual family. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good quote. Um, and, you know, it goes back to, I have a, I have a, a, a conviction that, that our desires, our non-instinctual desires are very much mediated by other people. And I think sometimes we lose our own personality when we are caught up looking at what other people are doing. We, we start to imitate them without even realizing it. And 
And um, that that's, you know, it's 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 looking at who your models are. And if your models are are people that are beyond you, that are way beyond you. And so if your model is is St. Paul, for example, or somebody like this, you're not you're, you're not going to be in a position where where you're you're imitating him him in any bad way. And there's no one else that's doing the exact same thing that you are. And so it kind of gives you your personhood and it makes you into um, the individual that you were created to be. And and I hate to use the term unique, but that's what because everybody's looking for the unique snowflake <laughs> individual, you know, but there is a reality, a, a real a real, uh, I think, purpose that God has given us. I mean, he created you the way he did for a reason, and there's only one you. And um, so being careful about what our motivations, where they're stemming from and where these desires are coming from, um, I think I think that's the way to cultivate your own personhood the best. One of the biggest reasons for, for doing this is so that they have to stand the best chance of really internalizing that message also like you have a purpose in it and find out what it is be yeah. who you're called to be that's uh -huh. awesome yeah well i think this has been a really great episode i've had i've had a lot of fun talking with you guys um i'm glad i'm glad to do this kind of touch base with us and then also with uh, yeah. the listeners out there so i hope anyone who's listening that you've you've enjoyed the conversation and please check back there's plenty more good content coming up we've got a lot of things planned a lot of exciting things so stay yep. tuned and we'll you guys keep have going it. right That's yes what your quote yes. keep going yeah <laughs> is the thing so press on to where you began marry our mother pray for us saint maximilian colby pray for us ad maiorem dei gloriam 